Welcome to the latest episode of Leeds University Business School's Research and Innovation Podcast. I'm Dr. Matthew Davis, and today we're going to be talking about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the management of risk of modern slavery and unethical practices within global supply chains, and in particular, thinking about fashion supply chains. I'm delighted to say that today I'm welcomed by three colleagues. Um, Our first, Divya. Namaste. My name is Divya Singhal, and I'm a professor at the Goa Institute of Management, India. Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Sumner. I'm a lecturer in uh, sustainable fashion here at the School of Design at the University of Leeds. Hello, I'm Hinrich Voss. I'm the Lorimer Chagnon Professor of International Business at HSC Montreal in Canada. Fantastic. Thank you all for, for joining today. I'm delighted to be back on a call with you. have been working together uh, on this, uh, this topic for a number of years, and it's great to have a, a conversation today. A lot of what we're going to talk about today um, are findings and uh, research evidence coming out of a project we recently completed that was looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the management to eradicate modern slavery from global supply chains, looking at a case study of Indian fashion supply chains, um, which we're very grateful to say uh, was commissioned by the Policy and Evidence Centre and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. We were looking particularly at what the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic was for how UK-based fashion brands uh, were able to, to manage their supply chains, interact with suppliers, particularly in India, and think about the challenges and the risks that the pandemic brought into uh, working practices and, and management practices at that time. So as part of our project then, we were working uh, closely with UK-based fashion brands um, and manufacturers and suppliers across various tiers of the, of the supply chain in India. And we were doing this both uh, in the current project and also a few years ago in a British Academy-funded piece of research. So in our, our current project, we revisited the same supply chains, suppliers and, and fashion buyers, and we conducted a whole series of in-depth interviews with people within the industry and also others outside as well. So experts in um, non-governmental organizations and, and other industry bodies as well to really try and understand what was going on in the industry at this time. Himrik, can you maybe talk us through both the scale and the scope um, that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the fashion industry that we were looking at? Certainly, Matt. The pandemic had severe impacts on the fashion supply chain and global value chains. But those impacts have been spatially and temporarily very uneven, hitting businesses and and workers in firms at different times and at different intensity. And I would like to break this down a bit by giving you, if you like, a, a macro picture first and then a micro picture. With macro picture, the fashion and textile value chain consists, generally speaking, of six different tiers. And each of these tiers had very different experiences across the pandemic at different points in time. The first garment or the first uh, businesses in the value chain that were affected in India were those that were receiving supplies from China, because China was the first country to, to go into a lockdown and stop exporting certain products and that affected therefore producers in India. As they came out of that lockdown, or the the challenges they faced from not having imports from China, they then felt the the problems from lockdowns in the export markets. Countries like the UK going to lockdown, non-essential shops being closed, retailers being shopped, 
had a significant impact on suppliers across India. One of the problems raised through the pandemic was that those suppliers didn't have alternative markets, right? Because it wasn't just the UK closing down, but all the export markets going into a lockdown. And while you normally see that global value chains help businesses to diversify risks because they can supply into different markets at the same time, as in this case it happened that all the markets are closing down at more or less the same point, there is no risk diversification possible any longer, and therefore it hits tremendously strongly supplies across the whole value chain. Now, some of these impacts kind of, if you like, trickled down as garment manufacturers didn't receive orders any longer. And there's some indication that orders were reduced by the order of 25 to 35% across all tiers. Another impact that especially Indian manufacturers have experienced was a domestic lockdown within India. The, the domestic lockdown led to a mass migration of millions of workers within India back to the home regions where they normally came from. Now, that particular lockdown and, and the mass migration within India then had an immediate impact on the ability of, of the remaining manufacturers to, to produce goods and later on to restart the manufacturing engine um, as orders picked up again from potential export markets because there was lack of workers. And that had a knock-on effect I'll talk about in a moment as well. But that that in particular was felt when online shopping picked up in export markets. As essential shops closed, shopping moved from um, bricks and mortars retailers to online shopping, but then it was starting to get difficult to get supplies in because in places like India, manufacturers couldn't produce because the, the workers went back home. So that, that's some of the impact the Indian side experience. And of course, in the UK itself, after many years of severe price competition amongst retailers, the lockdowns that were enforced by the government had a disproportionate impact on clothing sales. And they were felt strongly by retailers um, which led to a closure of a large number of, of retail shops across the UK in the aftermath of that, because not everybody had an up-and-running online shopping system in place, not, not the logistics in place to um, to cope with an increased online shopping demand and, and serve um, consumers as well. So in the macro picture, we had suppliers, or the India-based, value chain being severely affected from, from different sides. So as a consequence of that, if at a micro level, implications uh, indicated that millions of workers went back to the home regions because of lack of work in, in the manufacturing sector or across the value chains in the fashion industry. And that in itself increased the risk for modern slavery because suddenly workers were out of jobs, out of money. So they had to cope with the costs of getting back home to the home regions as well, potentially having to pay to get back into jobs. And, and when we say they had to go back to the home regions, that means they had to travel kind of hundreds and thousands of kilometers to get to the home regions. It's not something around the corner. It is an order with long journey for them. A survey by the Worker Rights Consortium indicates quite nicely the impact this has had on some of the workers. 
because the, the a survey by that consortium found that even though 60% of workers were still employed um, at their pre-COVID factories in 2020, they experienced a monthly wage drop of 21%. At the same time, um, 75% of, of informants reported that they had to borrow money and or accumulate debt in order to pay for food, yeah. even though a large number of them were still employed. So that indicates some of the predicaments these workers are facing, and as a consequence of that, the higher risks they were exposed to, to, to move into a situation of, of modern slavery. Because especially the last point he indicating in terms of increased debt accumulation, having to borrow money in order to pay for food, can lead into debt bondage types of modern slavery. Debt bondage means that a worker has a significant amount of debt they have to repay to, to, to potentially the employer, to potentially a recruitment agency, to potentially a loan shark, whoever, where they're getting money from. That's a really interesting summary. Thanks very much, Henrik. Really difficult time. Everybody, I think, during the COVID-19 pandemic has been adversely affected um, in different ways. Um, and I guess one of the things we, we also heard in the project was from the UK side, a lot of the people working in, in the, the big brands who got furloughed in ethical trade teams, in supply teams and, and so on. Um, and I wonder, Divya, just thinking about your experience working, particularly um, on, on the project, uh, gathering data from these extended supply chains, mapping these supply chains, really complex task. Um, what sense did you get of, of the common challenges maybe between people within different parts of the industry within India and also those in, in the UK that maybe were buying from them or interacting with them? Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for this question. Of course, there were challenges which buyers also faced, suppliers also faced. But, you know, this pandemic being a joint experience was something that everyone experienced, everyone affected. And because everyone affected, because it was a universal impact, people were able to relate across the industry, across suppliers or brand. And interestingly, this contrasted strongly with past events such as Rana Plaza factory collapse or the financial crisis of 2008-9. The global financial crisis appeared to affect demand more than supply, while the Rana Plaza disaster had implications mainly for the supply side. These events were considered as distant or disconnected experiences between suppliers and buyers. However, the scale and characteristics of the pandemic impacts on buyers and suppliers appeared very, very similar. And this created a sense of joint experience. Of course, there were challenges, there were cancellations, there were delays, loss of sales, reduced turnover, managing employees were a problem, uncertainty when business would return to normalcy, all were part of this joint experience. One supplier commented, and I quote, this is like an extraordinary condition, right? Unnatural act. Pandemic is not a human act, and I unquote. So what is needed? We need to understand from, from different perspective. So pandemic lockdown impacted everyone. Each and everyone is impacted in one or the another way. So this sense of shared crisis possibly was the reason for the shared sense of understanding and acceptance of, of the reasons for the difficult decisions being taken across the industries. 
as i mentioned about the challenges delays in payments cancellation of orders challenges uncertainty due to lockdown but interestingly suppliers understood the need for brands to cut orders and brands understood the need to support workers in the supply chain when we talk about empathy empathy is what empathy is other orientedness and when suppliers are understanding brands and brands are trying to understand suppliers i think this definitely display empathy another important finding was increased communication many of our interviewee expressed that there is an increased interaction with the brands especially where the ethical trading teams are working there were constant communication and that constant communication also instilled confidence the brands had regular communications with the suppliers because there were situations changing day to day basis and video conferencing new technology was used so this universal impact this shared experience brings out the ability of a perspective taking and this perspective taking made the pandemic different from other global crises which i mentioned earlier it was able to put everyone in the same place which help people open up to their innate tendency of showing empathy in a crisis situation i think that was something which we found unique in this uh, project that's great thank you divya i think it's such a positive to hear you talk around that that increased empathy the understanding um and i think particularly coming off the back of what was such a, a difficult upsetting and a devastating experience for so many people i think that that kind of positive reflection is really welcome i wonder mark given your industry experience here in the uk as well as your you can kind of have ongoing research what would you pull out as another key finding them from from this research project well it's it's really interesting to actually start to see some of the the underpinning foundations of of the research and what we've actually found in the project and in the previous ba project that we talked about earlier fashion supply chains are really complex and in many places are very very opaque so it's very difficult to get an understanding from one end of the supply chain to the other irrespective of whether you're a brand at the demand end of the supply chain or whether you're a spinning mill at the production end of of that that supply chain it's very complicated supply chain it's very difficult to see what the connections are and when divya talks about this this uh, empathy and this understanding this ability to communicate that actually started to facilitate some of the um mitigation around the pandemic what we can see from those brands that had an established ethical trading team those brands who pre-pandemic actually had relationships with their suppliers even if it was only tier 1 or maybe tier 2 uh, suppliers those brands had the opportunity to start to communicate and start to understand uh, what was happening in the supply chain but at the same time also be able to communicate with the supply chain to explain some of the challenges that were occurring within uh, a uk based brand or retailer so that historic structure of having ethical trading teams really helped to facilitate the development of that empathy that that divya talked about because it had, all the the brands and retailers and the suppliers were working with uh, communication channels that were well established and actually what we're starting to see with the research were that those established supply chain connections were expanded to go further upstream from tier 1 to tier 2 um, and pushing all the way through to material suppliers such as cotton traders and and even cotton farmers 
So those connections allowed that communication um, through the ethical trading teams in general. They, they tended to be a focus area. And one of the, the interesting findings that we also got from the project around this, that the initial responses for many brands and retailers right at the very start of the pandemic tended to be very commercially orientated decisions made by the core commercial team. And actually on reflection, a lot of people talked about this idea that if the ethical trading teams had been involved in some of those discussions, then maybe what we we saw as a uh, direct impact to some of those decisions on workers may have been modulated. Um, Now, I'm not saying here that the interaction of the ethical trading team would would have absolutely avoided all of the issues of the pandemic, not at all. But what we're talking about here is having that level of understanding, having that engagement of the ethical trading team in some of those decisions early on may have helped to reduce the impact of the pandemic for workers at certain levels of the supply chain. Because what we've seen um, after the the initial tsunami of the pandemic here in the UK and in uh, countries like India, is people started to talk to each other and started to understand the, the direct impacts that were occurring. As I said, most of that communication was coming through the ethical trading teams. It was reflecting on what was happening further upstream. And what we saw is those brands and retailers that had that historic connection were starting to come out of the the, the panic of the pandemic earlier than brands who didn't have that historic connection because those brands that didn't have ethical trading teams didn't have the ability, didn't have the foundation, didn't have those communication channels to work out exactly what was going on on the ground. And as Divya said, the suppliers were also able to understand uh, much more quickly um, what was going on within the brand. So they could also mitigate what they were doing in terms of their order books. So that complexity of the supply chain and that opaqueness was unpicked by having that sort of historic ethical trading uh, built into to, to the brands. And I think for the first time, what we see here is the monetary value of ethical trading teams, not in a defensive position of i.e. trying to um, make your supply chain as hygienic as possible. But what we were seeing here was the ethical trading teams having the ability to make direct impact on commercial decisions that were valuable both to the brand and to the suppliers and not just the tier one suppliers but further upstream. That's great. Thank you, Mark. And it's really interesting to hear that reflection of, 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 I guess, that shifting view of, of the value of ethical trade, as you're saying, it's not being defensive, not being reputational risk management, but actually something that's valuable for those business decisions and, and looking forwards, proactive in terms of how it could work. Henrik, we, we worked together a number of years ago on a British Academy funded project to understand the impact that the UK's Modern Slavery Act uh, had had around brand and supply relationships. What can we take from the, the latest research around what might have changed? We, we published in 2019 an article in the Journal of the British Academy in which we critiqued the Modern Slavery Act of the UK by saying it's very ineffective. It doesn't really achieve its objectives in the way it's currently structured and organised. One of the problems we identified back then was that suppliers across the value chain are not really aware of the modern slavery act and are not really working towards its objectives. Going back to the same informants a few years later with this current project, 
they found that basically the awareness of the Monoslavy Act hasn't increased at all. So two, three years on, the suppliers were as unaware about the UK Monoslavy Act and subjectors as they were previously, suggesting that even over time, as, as brands try to work and train suppliers, some aspects of the communication or the message doesn't seem to get, get through to, further, to the suppliers. Suggesting, therefore, as well, that as a, as a structural problem around how the act is working and trying to achieve its objectives, and it doesn't really reach the suppliers. Now, there might be a, a silver lining with the act, however, in a sense that the spirit of the act might be incorporated by some of the businesses. Along the lines of what Mark just said in terms of the ethical trading teams working um, very well with suppliers, having strong engagement towards transparency and understanding what's happening on the ground. And that aspect of transparency comes through in the Modern Slavery Act as well. It's an important aspect of the Modern Slavery Act when it comes to the supply chain provision in the Act. But that level of transparency and engagement with the spirit of the Act is only, or we only found, to be true for businesses that are engaging with it anyways for a number of years and have a, a history of being more concerned about the ethical implications of their trade. While businesses that have track record on this have less engagement in terms of having a, a dedicated ethical trading team are, are found to be less engaged with the Act as well, um, suggesting that the Act, the Monetary Act itself, is not pushing businesses to be more engaged with ethical trading. Brilliant. Thanks, Henry. We've heard then around uh, how the, the scale and scope of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was uneven across the fashion industry, thinking particularly of the differences for UK brands, for Indian suppliers, for, for workers in, in both UK and India. And that raised challenges. We've seen that actually the COVID-19 pandemic was different to other shocks of the fashion industry's experienced before. Um, and in some ways that might have driven a, a more of a a sense of common challenge, more empathy, um, and more actually communication between brands and, and suppliers. It might be a positive coming through there. We've also heard about the potential dividend that brands uh, who'd invested in ethical trade teams before had reaped from this, so they had greater understanding of their complex supply chains um, and actually maybe enhanced resilience as well when they started to start to ramp back up their production. And we've also heard then in terms of the UK Modern Slavery Act, so a piece of legislation that's really focused the minds of uh, particularly UK brands around conditions within their supply chains. Um, we've seen limited uh, impact of that within the supply chains that we've studied. Now, what I would like us to, to do now is, is to really think about some very short and sharp recommendations that we can offer to, to businesses, people in the industry based on our research. I'm going to take Chair's prerogative and go first with one um, that I take from the work we've been doing. And that really is, I think, the opportunity that brands in particular have to capitalize on new technologies to strengthen worker voice, um, really to, to hear much more about that frontline experience of people wherever they are in the, in the supply chain. And we know from what Mark said how, how complex and uh, long that, that might be, um, how that might complement audits. So not just relying on spot checks in factories or um, kind of written contracts. And I think we've seen evidence through the pandemic where we've been using video calling, instant messaging, um, and the opportunities we have for other ways of engaging workers directly 
where we don't have to have middlemen or, or people visiting physically, how else can we get that kind of first-hand experience? Dibik, what, what would you offer as a recommendation? Yeah, so Matt, you talked about the, how the new technology can be used. I would talk about collaboration. The, the, the brands, they uh, collaborated with other stakeholders. They were able to build the common understanding. And they were also able to gain from the best practices. So I think going forward, it's very important to have that kind of collaboration, multi-stakeholder approach. Thank you. Himrik, what would you suggest? Building on my previous comments around the Women's Slavery Act, I think it is clear that that act needs to become much tougher with clearer obligations for every business, even if it is every business above a certain threshold, as it is currently, to be way more transparent about how they engage with the Modern Slavery Act, what they do across their, their complete global value chain, not just the first tiers, but also have clearer obligations about where and how much is published about the activities that every consumer can easily find those, those provisions, and, and have clear penalties in, involved for businesses that are not engaging with the act itself. Not penalties for finding potentially modern slavery, yeah, because if it's what we, what we want businesses to report on, and we shouldn't necessarily penalize businesses if they say, well, we, we find a problem and we're trying to solve it. But businesses that are not really engaging with the act and the provisions about transparency and training um, should um, face clear penalties. So trying to level that playing field then, I guess, um, with the act. Thanks, Henrik. Mark, what would you suggest? In many ways, it's a quite a simple recommendation of really understanding what, what that value chain actually looks like and what the connections are. Now, having said that, I know it's really complex to, to be able to do that, but without actually understanding the, the, the value chain, the connections, the interdependencies throughout that value chain, and, and I'm using value chain very specifically as opposed to supply chain to bring into the, the discussion this idea of, of the brands and retailers have a role to play in all of this. If we have that understanding, we understand what those connections are, we can then start thinking about what the implications are of, of our decisions and what, are, and what the implications are of some of these macro shocks to the system. And of course, we know that um, from a sustainability point of view, there are going to be more and more shocks to the system as a result of, of, of uh, climate change, as a result of water shortages, as a result of changes in the labour market as well. Um, as more and more legislation comes in. So really having that greater understanding, that value chain is is critical. But I would say to get that understanding, it's not about investing in things like blockchain or traceability platforms. It's actually about talking to people. It's about engaging in, that, in conversations. It's about realising that that value chain is made up of people who make decisions based on the information they've got. So, Mark, it sounds like you're calling for for better resourcing of ethical trade teams and an investment in people to help help deliver on that. I guess another area to think about then is potentially for for the UK government in particular. And, and Henrik's mentioned strengthening of the Modern Slavery Act in the UK, so Section 54 around reporting and so on. Also, think about sanctions, um, but we might also consider whether uh, introducing uh, something like a, a garment adjudicator might help strengthen things here as well in terms of standards and taking action. Now, Mark, I wonder if you're maybe a fashion uh, consumer listening to this podcast, um, you're interested in this topic, um, are there ways that they can find out more? And is there any exciting research happening at the moment that could connect them with that? 
yeah, so, so obviously from this project, uh, there's a whole series of reports and, and podcasts like this one that um, anyone can, can engage in. And we've been able to, to engage with uh, the Arts and Humanities Research Council and their follow-on um, funding call um, for impact and engagement. So we're very excited about this uh, follow-on project, uh, which is called Cotton Hidden Voices, Stories from the Makers of Your Clothes. And what we're doing with that project is trying to build that connection between the wearers of clothes uh, here in the UK and build that connection with the makers of the clothes, particularly in India. Um, and, and again, thinking about the upstream supply chain all the way through to the cotton farmers. So I'm hoping that we'll have uh, more and more of these stories that we can bring through, um, both from an academic perspective, but also um, to, to have that wider engagement with, with, with the uh, broader UK public. These will be videos, interviews, um, blogs. It's very visual, isn't it, to, to try and connect people with work, how these clothes are made, what it might be like actually to work within these supply chains. Um, and we're partnering with, uh, with museums, uh, galleries, uh, and running online events as well to make it really engaging. Well, Divya, Himrik, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining us on, on the podcast today, for sharing your experiences and the findings from the research. As Mark said, if you are interested in finding out more about the research we've done or what's still to come, um, check out the show notes. There's links to the report, um, to our project websites, and details around the follow-on project that Mark mentioned if you'd like to uh, to see more of, of what's coming. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.